welcome to the Daily Progressaholic Podcast, where we provide you with advice on how to progress through your self-development journey and fall in love with the process of improving yourself spiritually, mentally, and physically. Welcome to the Daily Progressaholic Podcast. And today with us, we have a very special guest, Sarah Wells. She is a Canadian Olympian who has won numerous national championships, has won a bronze and silver medal at the Pan American Games, and is a semi-finalist at the 2012 Olympic Games. She is also a motivational speaker that has impacted the lives of over 75,000 people with her Believe initiative. It is my pleasure to have Sarah Wells today on the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having us today. Of course. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited. Um, that's awesome. So let's get right into it. Um, Sarah, tell us a little bit more about your journey from where you were sort of a university student in Toronto to where you are right now. So our listeners sort of have a better idea of your path. Yeah. So I think people have an assumption about Olympic athletes that they must have always been really good athletes. And when I was growing up, I wanted to be good at a sport, but I, I hadn't found necessarily one that I really, really loved. And so when I got to high school, I tried out for pretty much every single team because I wanted to find a sport. And when I originally got there, I found out that all the cool girls were in our dance program because my high school is an art school. Yeah. So it was music, drama, dance. And I took a dance class as an elective. And by the end of the semester, my dance teacher was like, Sarah, an elective is supposed to boost your grade. Don't take a dance class again. (laughs) And when that happened, I was like, okay, well, I'll try basketball. And then that didn't work out. So I tried volleyball and then that didn't work out. So I tried soccer and field hockey and badminton and I got cut from every single team and was convinced I was the least athletic human on the planet. And eventually by the time the year is almost finished up, like my ninth grade year, I had a high school teacher see me in gym class and he's like, you need to do track and field. Like, I think you have what it takes. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I'm pretty terrible at sports. Like go ask the other teachers. And um, I found hurdles and he's like, I'll show you, I'll teach you how to, how to run. And so I happened to be pretty good and was eventually favored to win the national championships. And about eight months into picking up the sport, I became a national champion for the first time and couldn't believe it. Awesome. Yeah. And it was just this like wild ride. And that high school teacher and I actually stayed coach athlete for the next nine years together until we made the Olympics. And yeah. so it's pretty wild and like unheard of to have your high school teacher be your coach at the Olympic games as well. That's, that's incredible. Um, let's talk a little bit more about your coach. I think his name is Dave. Yes. Yeah. Dave Hunt is his name. Yeah. So let's talk a bit more about the sort of impact that he's had. In the If you could just summarize like your main three key lessons, life lessons that he sort of taught you as a whole. Um, I think that, you know, Dave and like the University of Toronto, which is where I trained, you know, for a number of years with Dave Hunt um, and just like the sport in general being like a really grueling sport um, in terms of like just repetitive impact and, um, you know, no one likes running (laughs) (laughs) and I just happen to be good at it. Um, But it really tests your limits and your boundaries for like what's, what you're capable of. And so I think something that 
you know, Dave and the sport and, you know, the environment that University of Toronto provided for me was that it showed me like what I think is possible. Like there's always a little bit more there and circumstances don't have to define your outcome. There are many times I faced obstacles and, and really thought, you know, there's no way, how do I overcome this? Or like, I should quit. I should give up now. Like, you know, there's no way around this or, you know, these limitations that are out of my control are going to affect me in this way. And so because of those things, like you, without the support, you can kind of crumble. And I was so lucky to have that environment. Um, So I think, yeah, they showed me what's possible as one. Two, they showed me that um, that support is super duper necessary in order to achieve those goals. And maybe like the last thing would be that, I mean, I think that the sport serves us certainly, that hard work doesn't always lead to success because there was moments I hit the goal and moments I missed the goal. And that doesn't like hard work doesn't always lead to success, but being resilient and getting back up and believing in yourself always leads to another opportunity for success. And yeah. so, yeah, that was probably like three major takeaways for me. That's incredible. Um, and also, like, I just wanted to speak a little bit more about the fact that when you were in university and you decided to sort of, you know, go full time with this and make this your career. I know as like a lot of our listeners are in university or are, are around that age. Like, what would you say to them if they want to pursue something, but they're a little hesitant, maybe because of the, because it's not the most secure sort of path. And like, there's some other pressures of them, like other pressures around them, like academic pressures or family constraints or stuff like that. So I think like one of the biggest pieces of advice I have for anyone is ask for help. (laughs) And that comes through in many ways because if you do have this like big goal and there is a lot of demands on you or limitations or like circumstances that don't make you feel like you have all the resources or time or, um, you know, like connections necessary in order to make that thing come true. That asking for help is like the best thing you can do because it short circuits the path to get there. I don't think I could have, I've been as good of an athlete without asking for like my coach to be like, I need you at that workout. I need you to yell like stay strong in the middle of this interval because I know I'm doubting myself. I know I'm feeling weak. And yeah. so if you can tell someone the way that you're feeling and then ask for the help that you know you need, then you're just far more likely to get the outcome that you would hope for. Yeah. And that can come you know, also in a way of like, look, the way I'm feeling is that because of these circumstances, I don't think I can get X. And yeah. then if you tell that to someone and maybe they're able to show you what's possible. Like maybe you don't even actually have the conversation with the person, but maybe you're, you're asking for help is actually seeking a story, whether that's on the internet or in a book or, you know, actually having a conversation with someone about seeing someone else who has dealt with those similar circumstances or felt a similar way um, and how they overcame their challenges and how they can then achieve that big thing or with their limitations, how did they achieve that thing? And so asking for help can be yeah. like, yeah, having someone be there to support you helps short circuit the, the path and then can also show you what's possible because someone else might have done what you hope to do exactly. even under the, like, similar circumstances. Exactly. And like, would you say that the asking for help sort of was like one of the reasons why you were able to sort of get through that period before the Olympics when you were injured and all that? 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, like for the listeners that won't know that story yet, it's yeah. uh, the year before my first Olympics, I had an injury that was supposed to take three months to heal. And it was a stress fracture in my femur. So a stress fracture is a deterioration of your bone from the inside out. And your femur, which is where mine was, is the biggest bone in your body, your massive thigh bone. Yeah. So the biggest bone in my body is breaking in half the year before the Olympics. And it's supposed to take three months to heal. And I had never touched the Olympic standard before. So yeah. I needed every day, every week, every month in order to make this dream come true. And now the doctor's telling me I have to sit out for three months. And that three months turned into nine months of sitting around. And oh. everyone around me told me to remain realistic, that this was already a pretty impossible goal trying to make the Olympic Games. And now I've just been sitting around for nine months. And yeah. so um, I absolutely had to ask for help in those moments. And, and what I also did is on my first day back to training after sitting out for nine months is I got the word believe tattooed on my wrist. And I told myself, wow. when I make the Olympic Games, I'm going to put the Olympic rings underneath here. And I set out to start training and, you know, things were going well in terms of like just being excited to have the opportunity to even try to go for this goal. And I basically had eight months to get back to who I was. And then I actually had to improve an entire second if I was going to hit a big standard, which is like that minimum yeah. threshold you need to hit in order to qualify. Yeah. And so that's a massive amount of time to make up in only eight months. And so I would look down at that belief and remind myself, like, if anyone could do this, it's me. And I would tell as many people as possible, like, this is what I'm striving for. This is what I want to accomplish. This is what I believe is possible for me. And this is why. And by me doing that, like I created this army, this village around me that wanted to help me get there. Exactly. And um, one month into being back, I actually ended up doing a hurdle drill one day and tearing a hernia in my inguinal ligament. And a hernia... Is where you tear your abdominal wall and your intestine pokes through just a little bit. <laughs> Super gross. Um, <laughs> and I had to now go in for surgery and recover from that. And yeah. everyone's like, oh my God, like, no way she can do it now because I was already on a time crunch with eight months. And now I had to go in for surgery. And by the time I came back, I only had six months to get back to who I was and then improve an entire second. And so, you know, day after day, I would like try to motivate myself and tell myself like why I believed it was possible. And I would go to my physiotherapist and I would try to stay fit and I would try to stay motivated and I would try to do everything I could. But then there were certainly moments where like I didn't believe and I stopped believing. And I was so fortunate to have asked for help. I was so fortunate to have told everyone what I was trying to achieve and have them kind of get behind me on that yeah. because then they could remind me why yesterday I said I could. When today, for some reason, I think I can't. And that's why, you know, in so many of my keynote presentations that I do, yeah. I often encourage people to like find that village in their lives. Who are those people? And so, um, yeah, asking for that help, honestly, biggest, biggest, I think, key to success. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm speechless. I, don't, speechless. I really don't know what to say. Like that is one hell of a journey. Mm -hmm. Like, like I'm just wondering, like, this is like not even for anyone, but this is like sort of for me. It's like, how do you keep yourself motivated when like the goal seems like so far and so distant? Like something I'm not able to sort of like fathom, like how did you keep yourself? Like, I know it's the help and everything, but like, uh, like how do you sort of silence that inner critic within you that kept coming up? I'm sure it must have kept, kept coming up that like, Hey, like I'm not good enough, but then how do you sort of silence that person? So for me, I was, 
really lucky that my sport is very, it's very tangible to show progression because milliseconds matter. And so I can look in my workout book and I would keep track of everything. Okay. What was this interval? What time did I run? How did I feel? Um, what was my rest? What was my like last interval in? Like how, how strong did I finish? And I could keep track of that. And I think by people journaling their progression over time, which might seem microscopic on a daily basis. Yeah. For me, I could set these mini goals of like, okay, in three weeks time, I want to complete this workout and collectively over all the intervals, I want to make sure collectively the intervals are three seconds faster. And then I could tangibly see, okay, when I look back three weeks ago, am I like, did I run faster? Did I feel better? Did I feel stronger? Did I finish stronger? And by having that workout book with real evidence, because like you said, that inner critic, that voice can get so loud and tell you you're not good enough, especially when you start like crawling down that like dark hole and just like goes deeper and deeper. It's so easy and bound myself that that's the real story. So if I keep making these leaps and bounds, well then in six weeks, in eight weeks, in 10 weeks, I'll be so far from where I am now. And you know what? Maybe this is still possible then. And in, in someone's world where it's, you know, it's not the sport of track and field, you could still be journaling like, okay, well, like, what does the balance of my lifestyle look like? How am I eating? How am I sleeping? How am I prioritizing my time? Where do I feel burnt out? Am I making steps towards that? You can slowly over time, like find those areas where you can see progression in your life. And then when you feel like everything's falling apart, you might be like, oh, I see why everything feels like it's falling apart. Because I haven't slept in three weeks because I've been exhausted and stressed and whatever. And then suddenly you can convince yourself why the, what you feel might not be the true story or it might not be the whole story. Exactly. That's yeah, that, that definitely makes, I think that definitely makes a lot more sense and it really ties into the fact of how do you sort of keep yourself so motivated when that goal seems like it's like miles and miles away. Um, but also like, I just want to know like, how was that? So then like you transitioned to the, like you went from, national to Olympics. And then after that, sort of, how did you sort of transition into like your speaking career as such? Yeah. So in 2012, obviously I, I make the Olympics and I go to the Olympic games and I finish as an Olympic semifinalist yeah. after overcoming that stress fracture. And I like blow my own mind and I'm like, Holy shit, believing in yourself works. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, you know, I start getting asked to share that story. Like my parents, friends are saying to me, they're like, come tell my kid what you did. And so then I just started speaking at schools, like just my parents, friends, kids, schools. Exactly. And when I kept getting asked to do it more and more, I was like, okay, well, I should really think about like, what do I want these key takeaways to be? And how can I craft the story to be more effective in the way that I'm presenting information? And over time, I started to do it more and more and more. And as I was developing as an athlete, I was also you know, slowly working towards becoming a medal hopeful at the Olympics. And I had just come off winning a Pan Am Games silver medal and lost to the number one ranked girl in the world during that race. Yeah. And so I knew I was like so close to her. Like 
I felt like you know, I had just proven that I could run with the best in the world. And that meant for me in 2016, my goal was going to be to get into that Olympic final and then see, you know, anything could happen. Yeah. And two months before this 2016 Olympic trials now, I've been developing for four years. I've just come off winning this medal and I'm now game ready to like make my mark on the world at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Yeah. Two months before I had a workout that I should have never worked out at because my hamstrings were so tight because I had gone really fast the day before, but I was so scared to miss a workout and to not do everything to make this dream come true that during that workout, I ended up tearing my hamstring and I tried to rush back and tried to rehab. But by the time I got back, I ended up missing qualifying by half a second. And I was so devastated. Yeah. And like really just felt like, how does Sarah Wells, the Olympian, which I had been known as for four years, how does Sarah Wells, the Olympian, not make the Olympics? Yeah, And so I had to take a minute and walk away from sport for a year. And I decided to take some time off. And I started to think about like, you know, have I been lying to students this whole time that believing in yourself works? Because I believed in myself and I didn't get the goal. Yeah, And during that reflection time, I kind of recognized that you don't build self-belief through achievements because I believed in myself more strongly even after missing qualifying for the Olympic Games Exactly, because I was willing to get back up and try one more time and find another way. And so I realized you don't build self-belief through achievements. You build it through action because I was getting up, because I was still trying, because I still went to the starting line regardless of the obstacles I was facing. And that showed me that like, okay, I need to show more people this. Yeah. And so I founded what um, is now called the Believe Initiative. And so like you said at the start of this, like I've spoke to over 75,000 students all over North America in the US and Canada and shared that story of, you know, sometimes you're going to make some tough choices and you're going to be resilient and you're going to get back up and you're going to believe in yourself and you're going to achieve the goal. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. But then sometimes you're going to make some tough choices and you're going to be resilient. You're going to get back up and you're going to believe in yourself and you're just not going to have it work out. Exactly. But that every single time I share this story, far more people are inspired by the time where I didn't make the Olympics over the time where I did. Yeah. And so the Believe Initiative's mission is to help students build self-belief through action. And yeah. um, the plan would be to yeah be in a thousand schools in the next few years. And, awesome. Um, it's been awesome and so fulfilling and so rewarding. I, I didn't know if I'd find anything as much as I love the sport of track and field. And yeah. I love what I get to do with the Believe Initiative. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Like I was, I'm pretty like interested to know, like, do you, so, you know, before the 2016 Olympics, um, when that happened, like, would you categorize that as a failure or more of as a learning experience? Because I've been debate, like I was having this debate with someone about this and we were discussing whether the word failure even exists. If you learn from it and you turn it into a learning experience. Yeah, I think, I think failure of the definition that we have for it currently yeah. is only if you decide that it is a failure, like you said, because all other moments of like, not having your desired result come through, that is really, like you said, can be targeted as, or can be um, labeled as a learning experience or can be labeled as a forced shift in focus or a, 
like sometimes we need those moments to reestablish ourselves, to redefine ourselves. And so it's only a failure, I think, if you label it a failure. Yeah, definitely. And also like like do you think it's important to like step back at times if you're going like too fast towards your goals like uh, like the workout that you did before the 2016 games like do you think it's sometimes important maybe to was that was that like a lesson that you learned and maybe it's important to step back at times if you think you're going too fast yeah and i think maybe not if you're going too fast but certainly if you are in a moment of panic or okay. you are in a moment of like anxiousness or like you feel the sense of anxiety that it's really important to step back. And that's like, you know, comes to light, even if what in what I was saying about having this like journaling practice so you can show yourself progression, because if you're, if you have a moment of panic or you have a moment of anxiety or you have a moment where you feel like I have to do this, I must do this. It's like, take a second to look back at that, that journal and recognize the progress you've made. And maybe it's not as important as you thought, or maybe the, the catastrophic outcome that you envision in your head won't actually happen because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And like, there's just, it's a really important piece to, to stay reflective and to, we don't remember everything, you know, like we all have a lot going on. And so it's important to write it down because otherwise we can only see so far in front of us yeah. when we get into that headspace of feeling, feeling that pressure and stress. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I also know that you work more, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, I know you work more with the younger audience. Is that true? Yes. We've done a lot of work with, um, middle school and high school students. And then, um, we did some, some believe initiative events with university of Toronto and Rotman MBA program last year. Um, and yeah, maybe interested in looking at the Ivy League Western program as well. Yeah, so yeah, but like, like, why was it that you chose sort of a younger audience? Do you think that like this generation sort of you can make more of an impact in the generation as such, or what do you just personally? Um, I think that we tried to focus on like moments of transition. So I think sure. in a moment of transition, like leaving middle school in grade eight and knowing you're about to enter high school, that's a moment of like kind of panic and anxiety and, and it might be hard to to believe in yourself in those moments. And then we focus back up in high school. It's like, okay, well, once now you're in high school in grade nine and 10, well, what's like, now who are you, right? And yeah, like, what yeah. are you working towards? What's that goal? Um, what, what are you trying, like what program are you looking to study at university? Like what prerequisite courses do you need to take in high school? Like all of that can be a lot and it's really important to stay resilient and believe in yourself in those moments and so I really like we just happen to focus there at the start because of moments of transition and um but I it's like you can I can also see this applying and like have used very similar messaging for new university students as well as for new hires in the workforce because it's like you get into this new pond and you're like oh my god what do I do here (laughs) yeah yeah, that's definitely something I've been uh, sort of uh, uh, a little scared about because I'll be entering the workforce in a couple of years, and I mean, like, it's a whole new game after after you after like you're done with the university, you know, because it's the first time that you're full time in the workforce. So it can be definitely yeah, a very exactly. totally. it can definitely be like a very daunting time for a lot of people. 
Yeah, no, certainly. It, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, but like, what do you like? So I know that like our generation, like millennials, um, we get a lot of, how do I say, we get a lot of shit from a lot of people for our, our generation as such. But like, what do you think is like, like, how do you think like our generation is, because you worked with a lot of young people, like, how do you think our generation is different from the generations before us? Um, I mean, I think that millennials and like, I don't even know what generation we're on anymore. Like Z. Yeah, it's like, sort of like, you know, like below the age of like 25, I would say. So I think to be a, a younger generation in today's world of social media, it's like no one as a millennial had to grow up with the like sense of comparison that young people have to face today because yeah. social media has allowed for us all to see the highlight reel of everyone's life. And I know that's like become cliche now, Yeah, but it's true that like comparison is the thief of joy and it can bring this like level of anxiety and um, feeling of like being so overwhelmed or like being constantly like watched to the point where you need to, you need to have like the best life and the best things. And like, exactly. Yeah. It, it's just unrealistic for most of us. And I think that then it makes you feel like your life is lesser and it's not, it's different. Everyone's life is different, but we idolize a certain lifestyle and the media and social media has us desiring something that maybe isn't the best path for us. Yeah, And it can be really, really challenging if you don't feel like you have a belonging, if you don't feel like you have a purpose or a passion and that's why the Believe Initiative really focuses on helping people build self-belief through action and finding a, a passion that they have and a problem they want to solve yeah. and using that passion to solve that problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And like, what are some of like, you could say like with the Believe Initiative, some of the new obstacles that you've been facing with this business as a whole? Um, I think that, I mean, there's so, there's so many obstacles, honestly, like <laughs> navigating, navigating a whole different world of like building a business. Yeah. Um, when I, I've never taken anything to do with business. I took kinesiology in university and I'm now, you know, being a social media coordinator and a sponsorship marketing person. And I am writing yeah. speeches and like being comms team. I am like, developing our content. I am thinking through our strategy. I am establishing network and relationships. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a one woman show essentially at this point. And that can feel so overwhelming at times. And I'm, I like fear burnout in certain moments. Um, yeah. I think that everyone can have that. Um, and it's just learning how to, how do you delegate? How do you prioritize? And it's, it's, it's a different, it's, it's like so much of what I can pull from my sport into my business life. Um, and it's so funny because like I can stand up on stages and I know, I know what I used to do in sport and I know the answer sometimes, but it's like, I can see myself being a necessary audience member in my own speeches <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. because we all get to those moments. Like we're not all like, we don't all have that positive mindset every minute of every day. It's a, it's a roller coaster ride. And so the obstacles are certainly establishing like different relationships with different schools to continue the business to grow and 
finding enough volunteers and people and resources to keep the programming growing. And, and, you know, there's, there's so many and, and these obstacles will make the story worth telling. And that's what I really try to lean into is that when this does blow up, when this does get really big, um, knowing like the things I lived through in these early days when we're, you know, we're only three years old, um, will be really fun and a story worth telling. That's that's incredible. It's incredible, and the impact that you guys are making already, although it's only been three years, is incredible to see. Um, but what do yeah. you think? What do you think is the next step in your life to sort of wrap it up? Like, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Sort of an interview question, but just to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So my goal in the next five years is probably to be in a thousand schools. And at every level, at middle school, high school, and post-secondary. And I think that it'll be important that we continue to align ourselves with brands that have similar messages to be able to amplify our messaging. So um, constantly going to be looking for strategic partnerships that will allow us to do that. And I know that I want to be developing a team between now and then. So I hope that in the next five years, I build out a team that's I don't know if I picked a number where I can see it working as like a five to seven person team to really help grow this and, um, and have the, the bandwidth and capacity to, to impact the young people that I want to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think our listeners will benefit from this immensely and, uh, just let our listeners know how they can sort of reach you on your social platforms. So people can follow along on Instagram. It's Sarah Wells, 400 MH, which is like 400 meter hurdles. Um, and Sarah is with an H. So S A R A H W E L L S four zero zero M H. And that's Twitter and Instagram. And then of course my website is www.believeinitiative.com. And they can find a ton more resources uh, through that. Perfect. That's awesome. Thank you so much again for having us, Sarah. We need more people like you in this world, um, creating an impact. Thank you. And um, truly making this world a better place. Thank you so much for that. No problem. Thanks for having me. If you like any part of that, please, 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 please leave us a review. It would mean the world to us. And uh, yeah, please let us know your thoughts. Um, How do you think we can improve and continue providing more and more value to our community? Because we're here to serve our community and we want to make sure that you guys have the best time possible um, and really kill it in your self-development journey. Thank you very much.